Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to Useful Idiots Monday Morning Media Roundup. We are here. We are live. It's me and Aaron Mate. And of course, we do this show every Monday right after our Monday morning uh, show on YouTube. And that show is where we uh, respond to the Sunday morning news shows that we watch so that you don't have to. Um, and uh, let's see, we're going to just take our first uh, caller, right, Aaron? Right, Katie, because one hour with Katie Halper and Aaron Maté is not enough for anybody. No. Doctors recommend at least two hours. So yes, that's why we're exactly. giving you this, this call-in show, because yeah. everybody needs at least two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so we are taking your questions. So let's go to Zach. Hello. Hello. Um, thank you for taking my call today, Katie and Aaron. Um, big fan. Um, and I guess my question is mainly just what do you think the end, um, of this all might look like? I know I'm, I'm sure people have asked that before. Um, maybe I can specify it a little bit more by saying like, um, do you see this continuing to escalate the situation in Russia and Ukraine? Um, or do you see potential signs of de-escalation in the future um because i've seen like a lot of news that suggests that both are like potentially going to be happening at the same time um so it's hard to tell what's really yeah. going on yeah well one bad sign that i saw today was that so russia gave the azov battalion until earlier this morning to surrender in mariupol and they didn't azov refused which means that's a death sentence for people living there because it means russia will start using heavier fire and heavier fire on residential areas where the Azov battalion is. So that's a very bad sign, but I don't know how much control Zelensky has over Azov battalion. I suspect he has none. So hopefully that's not a sign of what will happen elsewhere. But um, that's the only kind of tangible thing I saw today that to me was, was a sign of something overall. I, uh, how much longer does the Ukrainian military have? It sounds like I know people think that they've done well, and that's the conventional narrative. I don't know. I don't know enough about military stuff to, to gauge that. But the fact is, just knowing that Russia is such, so much more powerful militarily, it doesn't seem to me as if Ukraine can really hold out for that much longer. And how much of the question for Zelensky is, you know, how much is all of this worth it? He's he put up a stand for the principle of NATO membership and not bowing to Russia's demands. But eventually you have to look at what he's fighting for. And if it's just this abstract principle of NATO membership and it's to resist this demand of neutrality, Russia is not demanding that Ukraine fall into Russia's orbit. They're just demanding right. the to be neutral. I, I don't see him having the, the support to hold out against that for that much longer. But again, a lot of this, I think, depends on what the U.S. allows him to do. I do think yeah. the U.S. has a major influence over his decisions. Yeah, and, like, do you do you think that Zelensky, um, I mean, I know this is not necessarily the type of speculation that, um, you, that you would want to get into because there might not be evidence, but um, it just seems weird to me that Zelensky would be positioning himself, posturing himself as this, steadfast defender of Ukraine um, who's willing to like hide out and stay, you know, in the region while the battle is raging on. 
Um, yeah. Is there something at the end of this for him that he's waiting for some kind of real exchange that's more tangible than just, um, you know, continuing to hold out hope for EU or NATO membership? Yeah, I, I, that's too much for me to speculate. I mean, some people think he's just holding out hope for when he'll get to leave and go live in a mansion somewhere that has been bought for him by his patrons, including one of Ukraine's richest oligarchs who, according to the Pandora Papers that came out a few years ago, uh, has stashed a lot of money for Zelensky and his allies overseas. That was one of the uncomfortable things that came out of those revelations. But I don't know. I don't know. Okay, well, so cer- well. Cer- Certainly a no-fly zone is not going to happen. But you know what? The fact that we've, as we talked about a bit on the show today, the fact that there's now this talk of chemical weapons use and how that might trigger NATO intervention, perhaps he's holding out hope that that could, that could do it. Right. You know, that, that, is, that has been put on the table. Well, thank you, Katie and Aaron, so much. Thank you. Um, and I'll be, be listening every week. Great. Please share this, by the way, that you guys are listening to this. Uh, tweet it out. Instagram it out. Facebook it out. Also, Aaron, you did say uncomfortable just now. So I said uncomfortable? Is, yeah. Chuck Todd is clearly influencing you. Um, and make sure you guys, if you didn't see it, you can t- check out our videos. Just do a little self-promotion. Shared self-promotion. Uh, YouTube.com slash Useful Idiots. And, of course, you can go to UsefulIdiots.substack.com. But, you know, Aaron, something that we didn't talk about um, is uh, Zelensky's decision to ban is it 11 political parties. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, around that number. Yeah, he banned yeah. a bunch of – and he's doing it on the grounds that they're pro-Russian and they're giving right. aid and comfort to the enemy. And, you know, whatever. During a time of war, I think uh, – presidents get a bit more leeway with stuff like that i think these bans are only temporary but look the interesting thing here is he didn't just do this this isn't just a one-time thing uh about a year ago he also banned the three major opposition television networks inside ukraine because they were sympathetic to russia and the u.s embassy at the time applauded all that and later on we learned that actually according to time magazine a reporter named simon schuster this move to ban these opposition TV networks was conceived as a welcome gift right. to the Biden administration to fit with its agenda. So this is actually nothing new on Zelensky's part, but it does sort of give face to the lie that he's some sort of like democracy loving freedom, freedom guy who, you know, just wants to defend his country against Russian tyranny when just like in Russia, he's banning opposition voices as well. Right. Also, I mean, it's interesting to look at the parties he didn't ban, right? Um, he didn't ban the Nazis. That's a great point. Yes. Yeah. He didn't ban Svoboda, which is a far-right party with Nazi origins. And he also didn't ban the Azov Battalion because he can't because they have power in his country. Yeah. That's a really good point. Well, thank you. Um, okay. Let, we're going to take Jeff's call now. Hi, Jeff. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I had a question about the ongoing negotiations with Zelensky, obviously Putin and his cronies. My first question is, how much veracity do you put into the reports that we're getting from Turkish ministers and whatnot? I guess we got an update late yesterday after all the Sunday shows. I don't know if you discussed this on your YouTube channel, but basically Zelensky is is retreating a little bit or not retreating, but walking back any commitment to cede Crimea ultimately to Russia along with security guarantees, which would represent he's digging in his heels and 
Uh, I don't know if he's arguing for finer points in that negotiation or what the deal is. So first, what do you make of these reports? Do you put a lot of, uh, you know, do you think they're valid? And secondly, if you do, um, what do you think of the latest that we're getting fed? Yeah, it's tough to say. It does look to me as if Zelensky, there's, he says one thing and he said, and he, then he walks it back. He talks about not joining NATO, but then he does. He said all kinds of different things. I, it strikes me as that he's kind of erratic and that there's not really a clear plan that things change by the day. And, you know, Russia has an interest, I suppose, in, in putting out a message that they're actually close to reaching an agreement because then that makes it look as if their demands are being accepted and that they're reasonable. So it's, uh, it's, it's very hard to say. I, I just think so much comes down to what the U.S. ultimately wants to do. There was a report recently in Axios that um, Turkey had, or that Ukraine had asked the U.S. for even more help for an insurgency. And it, they had these documents that came out from Ukraine that looked very official. And they had sources on the record backing it up. But then Ukraine denied it and said it was a total fabrication. So I think there are different factions inside the Ukrainian government who aren't all on the same page, which makes it difficult to discern where they're actually at in terms of their positions. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it seems to be just an extension of the kind of propaganda that we're getting from both sides. Um, it's like the appearance of the negotiations is a reason to, you know, continue this propaganda. Ukraine's doing it just as much as Russia is. So yeah. So it makes it very tough to sift through. Yep. 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 Thanks. Thanks for the answer. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Now let's make Michael the next caller. Welcome, Michael. Hi, uh, Aaron and Katie. Can you hear me? Yes. I just wanted to just uh, throw, out, throw, out, throw out a little uh, conspiracy theory for you, see what you think about uh, Putin's turtleneck. Um, it's probably just because, I mean, he's 69 and has had plastic surgery and Botox, and he doesn't want people to see his old man wrinkly skin around his neck, I'm guessing. Interesting. I don't know. Interesting. That's just, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, look, if then look, if that's true, then, then let me be the first to say, and I think I speak on behalf of all the callers in this room right now, Vlad, you have nothing to be ashamed of with your neck. Show the neck. We want to, we accept the neck. It's a beautiful neck. Yeah. And you don't have to cover it up with that turtleneck. Yeah. Read the Nora Ephron book. Uh, what is yeah. it? Things I've lost, including my neck or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm getting <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, I, yeah. I really yeah. appreciate you guys, the, the way you kind of, uh, your, your knack for sort of breaking down our sort of our state media's propaganda. And, you know, I'm, I know we keep hearing so much about, I just, you know, like someone like Tulsi Gabbard, like they keep calling her a Russian asset, a Russian agent, a Putin shill, blah, blah, blah. They call you guys that the same thing too, right? But here's the they thing. They do? I, I would hope so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's the thing, though. I mean, if if indeed, you know, Aaron and Katie, you guys are, like they say, Russian propagandists, you know, Putin shills, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, I have to say that the the Russian propaganda that you guys put out and Tulsi Gabbard put out is way more sensible than the American propaganda, which is like basically sable rattling for like World War Three. Right. When I hear when I hear what is called Russian propaganda, it seems so incredibly level headed and sane and reasonable compared to the propaganda coming like like Chuck Todd being deeply uncomfortable with peace. I mean, so I don't know. It's like, well, the the Russian propaganda sounds pretty good to me. That's my comment, I guess. Yeah, well, that's the whole point of the whole or a point of the Russiagate craze of the last five years is to basically take any sensible position that's against militarism and jingoism and just deem that all to be Russian propaganda or Russian talking points. So to stigmatize it, basically to give it, to give peace cooties. That's pretty much the strategy. Like peace has cooties. And so we can't entertain it. And we have to accept the position of neocons who were once the shame of Washington are now, or once again, our heroes. That's the point of, of Russia Gate, which really in, in itself is, is a disinformation, is a disinformation campaign. Like even the, the the fact that the term Russian disinformation can even exist is so telling. Like, I'm, could we apply that to any other country? Israeli disinformation, Saudi disinformation. It only like like that. Say it's like when when American. American disinformation. Absolutely, yeah. Like you can't, but because Russia has been sufficiently demonized and portrayed as this like nefarious cartoon character, they can get away with it. But really the term Russian disinformation itself is a term of disinformation. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing unique. There's nothing uniquely uh, false about what Russia says. Every state has propaganda, but this term Russian disinformation ascribes some unique character to Russia's propaganda. And it's the point of that is to basically demonize Russia and criminalized diplomacy with it. I don't know. And of course, straight out of Russia, the Russian playbook. The Russian playbook, yes. Yeah. The Russian playbook, yeah. Is it is this playbook available on Amazon? Like, can I read it? Like, that'd be no, a long I mean, book. The- that'd be a long book because basically everything is in the everything is in the Russian playbook. Everything possible is in the Russian playbook. I would just yes, push back yeah. a little bit on something you said, Aaron, which is that neocons who were once the shame of Washington. Sadly, they never were. I mean, they always should have been. Um, but they were, I guess, what, what we can say is that there are some people who identify as liberal or Democrats and even leftists and progressives for whom these people once were sh- rightfully shameful and are now part of the you know resistance and the anti-Russian resistance. I think the brand took a hit when Obama was elected because Obama pretended as if he was against them. Right. He was against the Iraq war and he defeated Hillary in the primary. And that was not a good time for the neocon brand, but they've just made a really big comeback since then. Yeah. Really it's epic. Never been, but, been, but they, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. All, All right, right, Michael, thanks. thanks for the call. All right. Well, thank yeah. you. Oh, where'd you go? Okay. Um, okay. Daniel bringing in Daniel. Welcome. Hello Dan. guys. Hey guys. Long time listener, even longer time friend, and even longer time brother of the show. That's right. Uh, <laughs> what's up, guys? Uh, I, I really appreciate that last caller because it finally puts into context for me why Putin is so interested in the Donetsk region. Oh, hey. Ukraine, the Donetsk region, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and uh, as for the Russian playbook, I was. <laughs> 
Before you mention it, I was going to, I have some breaking news, which is that they're actually reissuing. It's been out of print for a long time. I mean, it, you're right, Aaron, it's very long. So, uh, you know, it, the supply chain issues are huge. Right. But maybe you guys could get in on like writing the foreword or something. Uh, because it's going to be a, it's going to be a huge bestseller, I think. Um, we could do a read. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I can do the audio book. Uh, and, and, and you guys could do, yeah, a live, you know, 17,000 part reading live on Colin. Um, I have two questions. Uh, and one has to do with Zelensky. Um, and, you know, anytime, like Aaron, you've spoken rather sympathetically about the position he's in. And I get that. Elected on a peace platform, threatened with his life. Um, no, but also, also Dale, because he's short and he's Jewish, so no doubt, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, so I I, 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 automatically have sympathy with anybody in that position, being short and Jewish. That well, that we that, do, that and, pulls and, on my heartstrings. Well, and and because all all of us short Jewish men have a telepathic worldwide connection, we feel it's like the Spock mind meld on on exactly. Star Trek. Like I've been down downloading his inner thoughts mm-hmm. and whatever. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, then again, on the other hand, anytime a leader uh, is becomes the focus of like a media crush, uh, the, the veneration, the hagiography, the lionizing. I mean, you'll put, you'll I'll put this in terms you'll you'll relate to, Aaron. I look in his eyes. What do I see? The cult of personality, and it's. Uh, it's really sick, and it makes me really distrust the guy, even if he was elected on a good platform, even if he was put into a tough situation. I just can't help if he's short and Jewish. shake this. I can't, <laughs> I can't shake this sense that there's something very nefarious about this guy, the way he's playing into it and upping the ante and just, just, and, and you know, just kind of welcoming the, the, the hero. Hollywood aesthetic of, you know, these, these dispatches late at night, uh, you know, alone in his office and stuff. So I just want to know your read on that, because to me, that's not just like irritating, but like very, very, very sus. Uh, you look at Trudeau, you look at Obama, and it always turns out to be the case that dudes like this um, have some very sinister um, capacities, some real empathy blocks, and some real abilities to to be uh, what can I say, duplicitous and mendacious in order to further their own brand. And the guy's going to write a book. He's going to be a multimillionaire. He's going to do a sold out U.S. speaking tour. So just, I just wonder how that factors into your sense of him and what he's actually up to. That's question number one. Oh, Katie, I can't hear you. Is it me or is it you? I don't know. Can you guys hear me? Aaron, can you hear me? No, I hear you. Okay. To me, it's almost like just by nature of being in power. Yeah, I mean, I guess I agree with what you say. And I think that it's almost like as much as people love emphasizing agency in general, um, it's almost an inevitability. Are crushed on. Sexuals. I feel like there's Zelensky sexuals. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, it does, it is dangerous to have the person calling for 
it's dangerous when you see the person who's calling for a no-fly zone uh, when that person is seen as as kind of appealing uh, and endearing. Increasingly, like yeah, and there's that Kathleen Parker uh, op-ed at the Washington Post where she talked about how he's redefining masculinity. Oof. Yeah. Well, yeah. On the short Jewish tip, that's a good thing. I know. But, that's uh, it. That may yeah. make you happy. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad I'm that you're challenging your own. You're being so selfless in your analysis. It's really cool that we're willing to risk World War III for the cause of challenging masculinity. I think that sounds like a fair trade-off, right? <laughs> Nuclear Armageddon to challenge masculinity. That, that's a legit trade-off. Okay. Yeah. I can, yeah. 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 Challenging the challenging masculinity to own planetary survival. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's really, that's taking your commitment to uh, challenging the patriarchy to a new level, Huge risking the Holocaust. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's major allyship. Yeah. Major allyship. Uh, yeah. I, when I spoke of having sympathy for Zelensky, it was more the position he was in after he was elected. If you yeah. go back to, uh, 2019, I interviewed the late Stephen F. Cohen, uh, eminent Russia scholar, and he said that basically Zelensky's only chance is if the U.S. protects him from the neo-Nazis in Ukraine because they are violently opposed to his campaign mandate, his election mandate of making peace. And Dr. Cohen said that, you know, if peace is going to happen in Ukraine, if a end to the war there, the Donbass war is going to be reached. It will have to come via U.S. defending Zelensky and basically telling the neo-Nazis to go away and telling them that, you know, the U.S. has Zelensky's back. And the U.S. didn't. The U.S. didn't. The U.S. basically let Zelensky get bullied around by the far right who threatened to coup him like they did a coup in 2014 if he made peace with Russia. So that's where I feel sympathy for him is like he was in that position. He, He was elected on a peace platform. I have to believe he meant it. And yeah. uh, and he got sold out by the U.S. And now he is allowed to be a hero and be paraded around as some kind of noble figure exactly because he's following U.S. orders and he's prolonging the war instead of taking the steps that could have ended it before it started, which is basically just accepting Ukrainian neutrality. But the problem there is, he, again, he didn't have the power in his own government to do that. Right up until the invasion, there were, pe- there were far-right leaders warning in the New York Times that if Zelensky makes peace with Russia, that he'll be overthrown. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now he's basically just continuing to cater to them and cater to the U.S. So that's where I just feel is, certainly his power is way overblown. He's essentially caught between the neo-Nazis and the U.S. And because right. he's catering to both, that's why he's deemed to be a, her- a hero. The moment he gets independent and has a, and, and if he were ever to decide, you know what, fine, I'll give up on this idea of NATO and I will cede the Donbass region, then he will face, I think, the ire of both the U.S. and the far right inside of Ukraine. And he'll no longer be a hero. Aren't we starting to hear a, a crack in the consensus about that neutrality is, is off the table? Like even in that clip you played, I don't know, was it Engel or someone? And the, the host said, like, oh, it sounds like there might be some Russian demands that, 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 are, that Turkey might, you know, mediate I, and the last few like is it is it absolute uh, red line for the states do you think that that nato membership could be taken off the table at this point i think they'll find some clever way to take nato membership off the table while still leaving as a possibility right, that's right. What I, as, the, 
Yeah, as they've done for the last 30 years. Yeah. 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 All right. My, my second question is about these atrocities, these alleged atrocities. Uh, it's very confusing. I haven't been watching mainstream news, admittedly. Um, but the sense I get is that there's a lot of accusations and there's, oh, there's a bit of an echo. Um, and there's a dearth of evidence, uh, in like, and a, and a very, a very strong dearth of evidence. Like when Palestinian authorities report on Israeli shelling of civilian areas, they, they bring the receipts. Um, and, uh, and then I see people like Max Blumenthal, who's really one of the only people who seems to be doing forensic reporting on actually here, are, here's what we know and, uh, and so on and so forth. So is your, like, what's your impression of the percentage, let's say, of alleged Russian atrocities that are backed by solid uh, reporting? You have to look at each allegation and, you know, the major allegations of late were that Russia, first Russia bombed a mosque in Mariupol yeah. with dozens of civilians inside. That turned out to be false. That was just right. straight up fake. Um, and the problem was the Associated Press, which initially reported Ukraine's claims that Russia had done that, didn't bother to call the head of the mosque. And once somebody <laughs> did that, the mosque confirmed that, yeah, the mosque was not hit. And then that, the, the next one was the theater in Mariupol. And again, that's just, there's a picture of the, of the bombed theater, but there's no indication of who bombed it. There have been no casualties reported so far. Then it got, then people started saying that it was a miracle that people underneath the building had survived because they were sheltering in the basement. Um, and uh, now they're on to saying that Russia attacked a senior citizen's home. Which, uh, again, you know, like all these things could be true. I have no idea. But it's just the point is you just can't accept these claims without evidence. And so I, I can't give a percentage as to what's true or not. You just have to say across the board, you have to wait for evidence before believing it. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's a good, that's a good watch One, in general. Yeah. One thing I would add about the Zelensky discourse is I do think it's useful to uh, emphasize the position he's in, the difficult position he's in when we're speaking to people who don't already agree with us, because I think that it's hard for people who don't already agree with us to kind of take in a very critical discourse around him. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's true. Like he is in a difficult position, but I also think it's useful. Yeah. And you can, you can sort of, I don't know if you were finished, but you, your voice disappeared. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, if you can square away those two perspectives by saying, that he's turned his natural charisma and star power, which he had previous to, prior to being elected, into a survival strategy in a very difficult situation. Like, right. it, that's his instinct, and it's been goaded and supported and probably coached to some right. extent by, by the people he's, he's serving. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks, guys, for taking my call. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, See you soon. Masha. Welcome, Masha. Hi, good morning. Good morning, uh, Katya, with your with your red turtleneck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I always get accused uh, of, of uh, I mean, you and I, I think we're both uh, red diaper babies that in the wool, like communist uh, families yeah. growing up, yeah. right? So, red diaper uh, baby, baby, at least for me, because my parents were the red diaper babies. 
Ah, yes, right, right. Um, so yeah, I watched your whole uh, your whole YouTube live stream, and I have to say, first of all, I really resent that uh, you're causing me all this discomfort by having to adopt uh, like using YouTube at all to, to yeah. access your your stuff. But that's okay. Yeah. No, yes, what God feels like. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to address one of the things you guys were talking about when Cuck uh, Todd was like, are we going to let Putin back into the world order? Uh, that, again, it just shows this um, this entitlement, this like, you know, American, yeah. like exceptionalism no longer just means America is whatever. It means like the whole world is ours as a playground to move pieces around on a chessboard like pawns and destroy them at will. And then I don't know which of the of the people you featured said uh, we didn't negotiate with Milosevic, uh, but that was like obviously that got my hackle up, right? Chuck Todd, yeah. Oh, it was him, yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering, I'm wondering, uh, are they telegraphing that they're setting up hmm. to like bomb the Chinese embassy in Moscow, like they bombed the Chinese embassy in Belgrade, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think there was a official from China who mentioned that, that when the Biden administration was trying to lecture China about supporting Russia, China said, we don't need lectures from the country that bombed our embassy when it attacked Yugoslavia with NATO, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but it was CIA, um, like ghouls who called it in, right? Who like uh, targeted it. So it was NATO doing the bidding of, you know, whatever deep state bullshit. I don't know if you can even call it the U.S. anymore, mm -hmm. right? But yeah, that was that was really chilling for me is like uh, because there is more and more talk of regime change. And so the unthinkable so far has been obviously a nuclear exchange between NATO and, and Russia. But uh, like what about just conventional like bombings like they did to us in, in Belgrade of like all of the, like they bombed the, the water treatment facility. They bombed many civilian targets and many of us were out on the bridge that was, you know, like our main uh, part of our main infrastructure and civilian trains and all of this stuff. So um, what do you think is the possibility of them kind of like denuding Russia of the capability to strike back in some fashion and then really actually striking civilian targets inside the territory of Russia? Well, I think there are people inside the Biden camp who want to do that. And that's why I think they're leaving this, uh, this, why they're putting these claims of a potential Russian chemical weapons attack on the table because they want to mm -hmm. leave open the pretext for intervening. But I do think that the Pentagon is a restraining force in that respect because they know what Russia, what war with Russia will actually mean. And um, last week at the Gray Zone, Max Blumenthal and I interviewed Colonel Douglas McGregor, who is a former NATO military strategist, former U.S. Army colonel. And he pointed out that basically the U.S. doesn't want to fight people like the Pentagon doesn't want to fight adversaries like Russia because Russia can actually fight back. It's fine to bomb Yugoslavia. It's fine to bomb Iraq and Libya because they can't fight back, you know, but attacking Russia is something very different. So I think that there are people on the State Department side who want to fantasize that war with Russia is possible and that they can win. But I think there are restraining forces inside the Pentagon against that. I, I really hope so, but I am seeing this kind of expanding dumpster fire of like old, um, you know, like military equipment from all NATO states, right, which is being backfilled by the U.S. Yep. And then also, but it also seems like Russia is throwing all of its old 
um, like, well, not not that old, but like, you know, there's there's they're not bringing their their A team in any sense there. So is is um, you know, Ukraine just becoming this dumping ground, like, you know, like Serbia did for for depleted uranium rounds that were about to yeah. expire. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Yes, it is. They're flooding the country with weapons from all over mm-hmm. the world, letting fighters go there. It's exactly the same thing. It's it, or it's a very similar thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that a Russian or sorry, a Chinese state media presenter tweeted sort of as a summary of the talks between the U.S. and China. She tweeted, uh, oh, help us fight Wait, your friend Masha, now. Are you Masha? Are you literally repeating Chinese talking points? Chinese <laughs> I totally am. I'm totally am. I'm hoping that it, that we have the like intellectual capacity to analyze them critically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll say what she said again. We're going to get shut down right now on Colin. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, She said, help us fight your friend now so we can fight you later. So funny. As a summary, right? So perfect. Such a perfect summation of the U.S. position towards Mm -hmm. China. The arrogance Mm -hmm. that, like, you're going to openly declare that you're pivoting to Asia to confront China. Mm -hmm. And you're going to accuse China of committing genocide and pass all these sanctions that with the deliberate aim of destroying its economy. And now you're trying to get all of a sudden China on board to stand to, to oppose Russia. The arrogance is just, it's extraordinary. Absolutely. And have you guys encountered that uh, um, phenomenon of Zelensky in the Knesset? Like that, that he was comparing, you know, <laughs> he was making Holocaust comparisons. And yeah. Israelis were like, um, bitch, please. Yeah. Yeah, they're like the, the Israelis are like that's that only we're allowed to abuse the Holocaust. Yeah, that's for, our job. Yeah, not you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So why are why are like Western media goblins um, acting like they <laughs> give a shit about Ukraine or its people? Like, is it just to give them moral authority to you know attack dissenters at home and and paint legitimate journalists as Putinists and and whatever? Yeah, I think it's a part of it, but it's also because Ukraine right now is useful for U.S. hegemony. So that's what they have to care about until the next fake crisis that they help create. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that that contributes to that goldfish mentality in the U.S. I think the populace has just been subjected to one trauma after another. So they don't I'm seeing like zero like these totally ahistorical arguments. It's like Americans don't understand their own history at all or refuse to grapple with it by saying, oh, that was forever ago, even though it was like in some cases mere months or, or you know, years ago so I, anyway yeah that is that is yeah. all <laughs> and when i say fake crisis I, I obviously it's a real crisis but i mean a crisis that could have been avoided it was created oh completely and it could have been avoided yeah yeah thanks so thanks, much Martha. Thank thanks you. all right rich welcome rich hello can you hear me uh not well can you get closer or uh, are you like not on speaker and thinking you're on speaker or something? Aaron, can you hear him? Yeah, Rich. Sorry, you're gonna, you're gonna have to figure out your sound and call us back because it's it's not good. We can barely hear you. So we'll we'll get you back when you've done that. Thank you. Okay, Jeff, welcome. Hey guys, how are you today? Good, you? Pretty good. Um, so what I wanted to call and make a comparison to um, the last thing you were co- uh, covering on morning, uh, Monday morning was that if you're neutral, that means you support Putin. 
right. and how similar the ideology or psychology is between the 2016 and 2020, 2020 election. As so, do you are you going to vote for Trump? No, I'm not going to vote for Trump. So you're going to vote for Hillary or Biden? No, I'm not going to vote for Hillary or Biden. So you're voting for Trump. They're almost identical. By the way, I just thought of something. What do you think about this saying? You can't be neutral on a Putin train. Oh, that's really good. What do you think? That's, of course, a, that's a remix of the Harrods in. You can't be neutral. On yeah. Thing. I like it. Should we, tra- should we so, trademark that? Should we trademark yeah. that and sell it to, I, I don't so. know. Original. You can't be neutral on a Putin train. Yeah. Patent that. <laughs> you got to make shirts. I want a T-shirt. Yeah. And it can go to... Uh, like a, a Putin trust fund or something like that, a, a Putin charity fund. But you, it's once you when you said that it actually reminded me uh, your uh, which I didn't think of before, but it kind of is like the George Bush with us or against. Yeah, it's the same yeah. Uh, psychology, right? Yeah, and a- actually, Aaron, I think that was, this would be something I that I, it would be good questions for your father. If you could get him on Useful Idiots or AM Live uh, about how people's ability to compartmentalize certain things or people's cognitive dissonance, you know, how like America is committing crimes against humanity as we speak, but everything is being reported as uh, uh, like Putin or Russia is the only war criminal in human history and on the face of the planet. If I could, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, maybe also if I could just tune my own Katie Halper show horn. Gotta say, oh, or I, Katie Halper show. Sorry. Well, no, 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 no. I was gonna say, uh, not, not in Prince. Nothing. You, I he is a Gabor son, so that was a, an appropriate request. But I, I interviewed him, for Katie. Halper show. While we didn't talk about this issue, we did talk a lot about psychology and visa is involved as it relates to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So I really recommend that episode where Gabor talks about being a Holocaust survivor and how that influenced yeah. his, shaped his view of Israel. Okay. I'll definitely look it up. Yeah, it's um, on page. One last thing as a side note, um, on your interview with uh, the Colonel Douglas, yes. I like how you uh, push back on <laughs> him about Amer- Americans uh, in Vietnam didn't target civilians. Which was just a blatant, bold-faced lie. Yeah. We bombed Laos, Cambodia. So anyway, so I like how you pushed back when you said that's a discussion for another time. Yes. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, that was, I thought what he said was really uh, just not true, and I couldn't let it slide. But it's awkward because, you know, we're having him on. He's a military expert. He He worked inside the Pentagon. So in that moment, it's you, you have no, to face like you have the choice of like, do you let something slide and risk getting sidetracked and into a side issue about Vietnam? Or, so I but I do think no, it, it, was, it, was, it was professionally done. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Jeff. All right. Take care, guys. You too. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. OK, uh, Gez or Jez. Let us know how to say it. Hey, it's Gez. Gez. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for taking the call. I I was really curious about um, an analysis of 
of the invasion having to do with uh, the energy and the, the shale reserves found in, in Ukraine um, and the development of them over the past decade and the motivating factors when you look at uh, sort of overlay the map of where they are and where the Donbass is. I did call in before and I, I provided some links. Aaron, I, I think you, you saw them. Um, anyway, um, uh, there, yes, there. I did get those links. I haven't looked at them yet, though. I haven't had a moment. So oh, my yeah. answer, my answer remains the same. Unfortunately, I just don't know. I can't speak to that, that, that issue. Because, okay. uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, uh, so I, I just want to say, well, one of the things I love about this column app is just your, our ability to sort of jump between these rooms. And I noticed that there's a, so I was, I was calling to say, if anyone here is interested, um, this isn't my show, I swear. It's it's just another one I've been listening to. This guy, Seb Kennedy, has a show called Energy Flux. And today, um, in a couple hours, I think, he has one up about the uh, geopolitics of energy and how it relates to this. So I'm just putting it out there and inviting, you know, I hear so much good um, scrutiny and analysis from both of you and from the callers. And I would love to hear... Um, I don't know, just a discussion and and for some of you to ask some of these great questions and hear maybe um, the analysis of someone like that who this guy is very, very wonky um, and has a lot of details. And I think the guest today is too. So I just wanted to put that out there. If anyone's there. Cool. Okay. Well, gotcha. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. All right. Mark. Thanks, guys. Mark. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Mark. Unmute yourself, please, by pressing the mic icon at the bottom right of your screen. Great. Oh, you did Can it. you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, good morning, and uh, thank you for all your work. Um, I have to say, you guys have made me very uncomfortable uh, listening to you. And uh, Tuck Chod, or whatever his name is. Um, I've been, uh, I'm old, so I've been... Uh, looking back to the good old Reagan years and their involvement with uh, Ukrainians and uh, Reagan's uh, right after his second inaugural uh, visiting the uh, cemetery in Bitburg and, you know, all of those links um, that uh, have been, you know, those are the original neocons and here we are again with the same, the same crowd. And uh, I also wanted to, uh, Thank you, Aaron, for that uh, Colonel McGregor interview. Uh, one of my questions I've been asking all over the Internet is, uh, have you seen any military strategists actually look at what Russia's done for the last three weeks? We keep hearing these, well, Russia's plan to uh, take over Ukraine in a day failed, and Russia's plan to take over Kyiv failed, and all we hear is these fantasies. Has anybody seen any actual military analysis of what they're doing? Well, that's why we brought on Doug McGregor is because he's an actual military veteran, military strategist for NATO when he served, actually served under Wesley Clark when Wesley Clark led the bombing of Yugoslavia, as we talked about. So Doug McGregor has experience with this stuff, and he gave a much different picture than what we've heard from the military analysts that we see on TV, that Russia has been routed and that 
they were going to take Kiev, but that was thwarted, which all strikes me as being, I don't know, very questionable analysis. That's what, that's why we brought on Doug McGregor. So in terms of military, anybody else, anybody else? I, uh, yeah, I'm sure there are, there are other people. Um, but you know, the problem is I like, I'm, I'm no expert in that field, so I don't want to endorse people without having the capacity to, you know, judge all their qualifications. I, I I think McGregor counts as someone who does have qualifications. So that's why we, that's why we brought him on. Yeah. And, and, I, and I appreciate that. And, and I, I concur with the earlier caller and you did push back on his, you know, ridiculous assertion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so. by the way, um, I'm thinking just on the topic of being uncomfortable, it'd be cool, Katie, if we can get Colin to have a feature to exclusively for useful idiots where, People can press a button if they're comfortable or uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. See throughout the show, like, where the comfort meter is at. Right. You know? Yeah, uncomfortable Yeah. Yeah. Uncomfortable. So, that's so easy to pronounce, an uncomfortable Yeah. It makes you uncomfortable even saying it. Yeah. It does make you uncomfortable saying it. Yeah. Now you guys sound like Biden. Those yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, right, I have seen, let's, I have let's, seen Scott let's, Ritter. Let's, Let's let's put it into our 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 demands, Katie. We're not going to do the show anymore yeah. until yeah, we get yeah. an uncomfortable meterometer. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Mark. Go ahead. No, no worries. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how do you spell that uncomfortable meterometer. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I have seen Scott Ritter on a couple of YouTube programs, and he has a, a good analysis. You know, oh, definitely. Yes, weapon sector. So I did yes. want to throw him out there. He's, he's a little hard to find. You know, he's been canceled m- multiple times. So, um, but so, you know, him and McGregor are the only two that I've seen that, you know, are trying to provide any, you know, rational analysis. Scott Ritter uh, definitely knows what he's talking about. And in fact, we are probably going to interview him at the Gray Zone this week, Max Blumenthal and I. Oh, I haven't, I haven't asked him yet. So I'm actually previewing this before I've even asked him, but I, that's wow. what we're going to try to do this week. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Nick Cruz on the Black uh, Black Revolutionary Network, Blackout Revolutionary Blackout Network. That's it. Um, was talking to Garland Nixon, and Garland Nixon did the best summary of Zelensky that I've heard, where he pointed out that an oligarch financed a TV show about uh, an unlikely president and hired Zelensky to play that you know to play the role on TV. And then started a political party named after the show, and then ran Zelensky to become president. I haven't seen anybody lay it out that succinctly that how this was just engineered by an oligarch to get us to this place. Well, certainly Zelensky's benefactor has a huge influence over him and has stashed a lot of money for him overseas. So, yeah, that's I've an. Heard that rumor too. Have you seen any evidence that? Yeah, that it's in the. It was in the. It came out a few years ago in the Pandora Papers or whatever it was, something like that. Oh, oh. Yeah. Thank you, Mark, for the call. Thank you. CJ. CJ, welcome to that to my, yeah. Hi, CJ. Unmute yourself by hitting the mic icon at the bottom right of the screen. Bottom right of the screen has a little mic icon right next to the thumbs up or the heart or the leave room. TJ, your silence is making me uncomfortable. Yeah, your silence, it's complicity and is making me uncomfortable. So we're going to yeah. get back to you. 
when you've worked that out. Okay, uh, Bill. Bill, okay. Hi, Bill. Unmute yourself, please, by hitting the mic icon at the bottom right of the screen. All right, it's like, okay. Didn't let, didn't let me unmute for a second there. Okay, so uh, three quick questions for Aaron. Um, first thing, first thing, Douglas um, McGregor mentioned in the, the podcast about how George Soros is behind and globalist uh, cosmopolitans uh, are behind this uh, this cabal to um, basically uh, uh, dilute the white Christian character of our country. Um, he's in things to global special interests. These are all, you know, uh, meant to uh, talk about, it's very anti, uh, it's it's anti-Jewish. Um, it's a Jewish conspiracy theory that goes back, you know, hundreds of years now. Um, and <clears throat> he's really concerned with who controls the levers of power in Washington, and he thinks it's Jews. So I just wonder why you didn't speak up when he mentioned George Soros. That was my first question. My second question is. Okay, let me answer it. Let me answer it. Let me answer it. Okay. So, yes, Doug McGregor has some views I don't agree with at all, especially on immigration. And he didn't, in the interview, he didn't mention Jews. So I, I, that's not something I could directly confront because he didn't say Jews control Washington. He did mention George Soros. You're right. And. I didn't confront him about that in that moment because I had already gotten to a little tiff with him when he said something else that I really disagreed with, where he said that the U.S. didn't deliberately target civilians of Vietnam. And so I didn't want to have another sidetrack issue in, about George Soros. But after he left, I did point out that McGregor has many views that I don't agree with, as you know, the Vietnam exchange showed. And then I specifically asked Max Blumenthal, I don't know if you caught the rest of the interview, I asked Max to talk about the George Soros thing, and I pointed out that George Soros, when he's talked about in places of geopolitical interest like Ukraine, there are times when he's talked about it in a completely anti-Semitic conspiratorial context. But there are also times when it's fair to criticize George Soros because he's a very, very wealthy and influential person who has helped bankroll regime change operations, including in Ukraine. And I got Max to talk about the aspects of the critique of Soros that are legitimate and not anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. So, yes, people do talk about Soros in all kinds of cartoonish, anti-Semitic ways. In the case of Ukraine, though, there actually is something there to it. And that's why um, I didn't feel the need in the moment to get into a thing with McGregor about it, because I actually understood what he was talking about. And in my opinion, it wasn't anti-Semitic at all. Well, if you look at his overall, the things that he said, it's not it's not just limited to Ukraine. He thinks that there's a global globalist conspiracy of of, uh, you know, uh, I think he talks about Jews. <laughs> I think he talks about it in a in a in a uh, uh, dog whistle way. Um, I think he's, you know, some of the things he said may maybe make him not the best source for this, the kind of information you're looking for, because he's definitely got, he's definitely got, listen, he also, in our interview, he talked about Marxist globalists. Okay. Yeah. Do you you think, I think that, do I like, do you think that I think that Marxist globalists around the world? No, no, but but I make, we, we have strange bedfellows going on here now with the Tucker Carlson thing and all this other stuff. Uh, I think, you know, the, the McGregor claim when he claimed that, Cosmopolitans were employing the BLM as foot soldiers. I think that, you know, um, 
you know, I, I think he's just on the wrong. He, he's on the wrong side. Right, not to. I mean, your dad, his dad is Hungarian Jew, so that's another thing. Uh, sorry to well, throw okay. that in. Let me, let me throw in a couple more questions really quick. Have you done any? Wait, I, I want to say something also, which is that yes, politics makes for strange bedfellows. We live in a world where being anti-war is incredibly popular, and I think that that disagreeing with someone uh, invalidates their areas of expertise. And it's, well, he's that, not, it's not that he's anti-war. He's, he just he just believes in conspiracy theories, no, which is that's well, all. Bill, 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 that. Bill, Bill. Adam Schiff believes in conspiracy theories too. Should I not interview Adam Schiff? The point is, just because I interview someone does not mean that I offer a blanket endorsement of all of their views. I, I believe in my own views, and that's what I'm responsible for. But I'm not going to not interview people because they've been deemed to be off limits. Where meanwhile, all these other people who have uh, plenty of noxious views that I disagree with. They're totally fine to interview. So it's like there's this arbitrary no, gameplay. Look, me going on Tucker Carlson, as I've said a lot, does not mean I endorse his views about anything. I'm, I'm, I endorse my own views, and I'm using the platform he provides to share them with millions of people. And okay. I wish I had more opportunities to go in other places, but I don't. So do I then let Rachel Maddow and Jake Tapper decide whether or not I can reach a mass audience? No. If well, he's uh, People treat these things as worldviews, and they they lead to the the right wing violence that we've seen, and so it's important, if, you know, that it. I, I have no problem with you interviewing him, but then if he brings up George Soros, I think you should call it out. Um, well, I well again, as I explained, I didn't want to get into another sidetrack issue because we already did that when I challenged him about Vietnam, and that's why I brought it up afterwards when he was gone with Max and Max. So Max and I talked about the Soros thing. Yeah. Talking about conspiracy theories, have you done any reporting on the Ryzen incident, the apartment bomb bombings? In Russia? Yeah. No, I've not. Okay, so do you don't have an opinion about it? That wasn't your question. Your question was whether I've done any reporting. Well, I'm adding, I'm adding one more question. What's your opinion about it? Well, I think that, look, the theories that basically Putin helped let it happen or he orchestrated it to help rise to power, is that, is that what you're getting at? Well, the... They found FSB agents in, in, and they said they were doing a test. Yeah, but it, they were found, you know, in the, and then basically it was quieted. We never heard. There was no real investigation to find out. Yes, is it possible that they were doing a, a false flag? I think it's very possible. Yes, Putin is a nefarious, shady character. He's, he's very, you know, he strikes me as very. He strikes me as the kind of person who could be behind something like that. Now, I, I don't have the proof for it, and I haven't looked into it, but yeah, is it possible? Absolutely. Okay, last question. The, you said the neo-Nazis in the Ukrainian government are a big influence on Zelensky's inability to implement Minsk II. If that's true, have you made any effort to try, try to talk with the politicians in, I mean, even it would have been ideal before the invasion, but to try to find out proof or to try to see what forces are stopping stops Zelensky from implementing Minsk II when that's what he ran on. Well, I have actually tried to speak to uh, Ukrainian officials. I was in contact with one during the impeachment trial of Trump when his name surfaced, but um, I wasn't I, I wasn't successful in running that down. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really paying much attention to Ukraine until the talk of invasion started. So it wasn't you know, and in fact, I regret that. I wish I had done more because um, I wish I had seen something like this coming as as was warned about for a long time by people like my mentor, Stephen Cohen, who warned that one day 
this could become a war unless the war on the Donbass is resolved. But look, well, listen, I mean, it, but wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, listen. Um, I don't need, it's not a theory that Zelensky was under threat of being cooed by the far right if he made peace. It's a fact. They openly threatened it. I'll quote to you a couple of them. Uh, Yuri Hudemenko, this is, he's the leader of the far right Democratic Acts. That's what they're called, Democratic Acts. This was him in the New York Times a few weeks before the Russian invasion. Quote, if anybody from the Ukrainian government tries to sign such a document, and he means a, a peace deal with Russia, a million people will take to the streets and that government will cease being the government. These are um, threats that have been made for a long time. I'll quote you someone else. Um, this is a uh, leader of the uh, uh, right sector, okay, a uh, far-right neo-Nazi group inside Ukraine. And he was responding to Zelensky's inaugural address where Zelensky said that he was, quote, prepared to give up my own position as long as peace arrives, okay? And the co-founder of Right Sector, Dimitro Yarosh, and Bill, if you want to write me in, Colin, I can send you the references for these so you can double-check them yourself. Dimitro Yarosh said this. He said, no, he would lose his life. He will hang on some tree in Kreskriak, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it, if he betrays Ukraine and those people who died in the revolution and the war. So it's just a yeah. fact that there were open yeah. threats on Zelensky and his government from the far right so, in Ukraine, if he made peace. If there are open threats in the United States from neo-Nazis or whatever, does that mean that we take them seriously and they're actually something that we have to worry about? Okay, Bill, but do you know the difference between the U.S. and, and Ukraine is the neo-Nazis have an hugely outsized influence inside the government. Well, that, and the, and hold on a second. Hold on. That's Bill, why. That's why. That's why. That's why. Ukraine is the only country in the world, correct me if I'm wrong, which has a neo-Nazi militia incorporated into its armed forces. That's the Azov Battalion. That's <laughs> why. That's why. In 2014, when a coup government took over, there were at least four. I think four or five cabinet members who came from the far right. And that's who has been having, they've had a major influence in Ukrainian politics since 2014. That's who the U.S. empowered when they backed a coup in 2014. And that's who the U.S. has sided with, even over Zelensky and his peace platform. Yeah, I mean, you make a lot of claims there. I think that's, that's what I'm asking for is more proof of that. Because Okay, so write me, write me on, and in fact, in the show notes of this episode, I will add those quotes I read, and I'll add the links to them. And there are many okay. more there are many more articles that talk about the hugely outsized role that Ukrainian far-right militias and groups have inside Ukraine. It's just a fact. Nobody. Well, yeah. You agree. You agree with Putin in that sense, because that's why he, I also he agree with the, I also agree with the Atlantic council. I also agree with the Atlantic council, which had a, a, an article okay. a few years ago called, um, let me, uh, let me quote it to you. The Atlantic council. You've heard of them. Uh, it says this, Ukraine's got a real problem with far-right violence. And no, RT didn't write this headline. Okay, so I agree with Putin, and I also agree with the Atlantic Council that yes, the far right and neo-Nazi influence inside Ukraine is a major problem, and everybody knew that up until the invasion. When now we're supposed to forget all this, and why, that's why the Times has gone from calling the Azov Battalion a neo-Nazi paramilitary organization to downgrading them to being far right. So if you want to join the Times, pretending that there's no neo-Nazi problem in Ukraine, that's your right. I'm going to stick with the facts that are on record and that were overwhelmingly documented up until the invasion. This is the key point, isn't it? Because it's it's really okay. So the Ukrainian government cannot 
implementments to. They're not a good partner. They're not a legitimate government. Let's invade. And so that's no, a, that's a, no, 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 no. You're coming, no. Not, not coming to this in good faith. It's pretty frustrating because this is an app where people can have discussions. But no, I, I'm, I'm, that's fine. I don't mind. I don't mind. It's fine. Right, it's, it's, so, no, it's so fine. fine. Listen, Bill, Bill, listen, listen, Bill. I've never said the invasion was justified. I've always said I do think Putin was backed into a corner, but I've never said that invading a country, violating the U.N. charter, killing all these people, causing millions of refugees is the answer. It's not. There had to be another way. I, I've said and I've said before, I think Putin had other options. He could have proposed a peacekeeping force for the Donbass. There's many things he could have done. So don't put words in my mouth. I am, though, trying to provide context for the background to the invasion and just point out that Putin didn't decide to invade, didn't decide to invade for the fun of it, that there were real Russian concerns that were being completely ignored. And I'm given given I'm responsible for what the government I pay taxes to does, not Russia. That's what I'm concerned about is the U.S. role. And the U.S. role has been major. That's my point. Yeah, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to get to the. Well, the you did. Key. Well, if I did, I'm sorry. But okay. I, I, I'm just all I'm trying to do is just trying to understand exactly why it is that they yeah, if they wanted to save Donbass, they could have they could have protected Donbass. Donbass, because they didn't have to take over the whole country, but they they did have to take it over if they thought that the Ukrainian government was run by right wingers and Nazis. It's a key point. Well, they they do think that yes, they certainly look. Look, I agree with you. If they really just were concerned about protecting the Donbass, they could have just gone to the Donbass, established a buffer zone, or proposed peacekeepers. But that's why I I don't think like I'm not going to justify the invasion, but I'm also not going to pretend as the New York Times wants to do, that Ukraine does not have a neo-Nazi problem. They do. Does that justify invading and occupying their country? No. But it, it does not also does not justify ignoring the fact that the claim about a neo-Nazi problem in Ukraine is true. It is. It is true. Okay. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks, Bill. Bill. Sorry, I'll be... I just... It drives me... I, the thing where it's like, well, now you sound like... Putin just frustrates me because there are many times where we sound like different people. So, Katie, it sounds like Bill made you uncomfortable. I was very triggered by Bill. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so, yeah, you know what? Yeah. The uncomfortable was off the charts. Yeah. yeah. Well, I see, the thing for me is I love arguing. I love debating. So, yeah, Bill, made, Bill right. you made me very comfortable, and I thank you for it. Yeah. And I'll be quiet next time because it's not like <laughs> you can get yourself well. I just there's certain arguments that I find so frustrating. But thank you, Bill. I do appreciate it. Um, it's good practice for me to just not say anything. Uh, not in life. You know what I mean. <laughs> uh, okay, Stu. Stu. Hey, uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you. I so appreciate what you both do. Uh, so thank you for, for, for providing uh, an alternate narrative for us to uh, dig into. Um, and Aaron, I just want to say I'm surprised that uh, you are um, not, not a tall Jewish man. Um, the way you project, it seems like you're a tall Jewish man to me. So, Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and then uh, going back to... TJM Energy. TJM Energy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
Uh, also, uh, real quickly about the Colonel McGregor talk, um, I did also appreciate the quote-unquote pushback. Um, I had just finished reading Nick Terse's book, uh, Kill Anything That Moves, I mean, days before. And uh, so to hear him talk about us not uh, targeting civilian population, that's pretty much what the war was about. That's uh, finally uh, in the uh, final analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let me get to my question. This is really about a personal note. Um I find that my loved ones and my friends uh, shut down around me because I try to have conversations where I bring up these alternate narratives. Um, And um, it's a a source of frustration to me. Uh, I I feel like they stop engaging with me. And and I try to point out that um, my views or that there's information available on indie media and shows such as yours. Um, uh, even Jimmy Dore, which my wife then immediately shrugs her shoulders and says like, oh, he's so toxic. Um, and I try to point out that the mainstream corporate media is largely propagandized. And, um, uh, I find my daughter, when I give points about the war, uh, prior, just after it started, well, the invasion, not the war, the war started eight years ago. She says, you're being reductionist dad. And, you know, I don't even know what that means, but, you know, I try to lay out the, these points about why we had so many opportunities to, to, um, to avoid the situation. And I feel like I'm being viewed as a conspiracist. And, um, and so I, I just wonder how do you gently promote an art, a discussion without just having people shut down or having your, your point of view labeled as a conspiracy uh, and then dismissed. Uh, so that's it. It's a personal question. Yeah, it's a tough one because people are very attached to their opinions and we live in such a sophisticated propaganda system and people are only subjected to one narrative. And so the idea that there could be an alternative perspective on things is just so deemed so out of bounds. And there's been such a successful campaign to basically taint any skepticism of the prevailing narrative as being uh, like, a, you know, somehow you're parroting Russian propaganda or you're a conspiracy theorist. It's difficult. I, I just think you have to accept that that's where people are at and don't be attached to any outcome of convincing anybody. Just be firmly grounded in your own views and hope that you're persuasive enough to reach people. But people are also going to be persuaded if they're open to being persuaded and that's something you can't control. So I just think the key is to not be attached to any, any outcome, give the best faith arguments you can. And also don't fault someone if they don't see the light, if they don't see it your way, because they are just things that are beyond our control. I, I'm wondering Katie and, and Aaron, if you find your friends, I mean, my loved ones they're I mean, nobody's divorced me yet. Um, but you know, um, your friends like, do are they, you know, are they turning, uh, are they ignoring you or avoiding you because of your attempts to, you know, bridge this gap? Did you hear that question? Yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, I think that I'm not going to lie. This is for me, this, this has been divisive in a way that I haven't ever really seen anything be divisive in my lifetime um, for various reasons. Um, and there are people who I would like expect that uh, would dis- would agree with me or disagreeing with me. Um, so I just kind of talk to, I don't, there are people I talk to about it. And then there are people I don't talk to about it. It helps that I, you know, get to talk about this stuff with Aaron. Um, also to talk about it with my guests. Like I had Vijay Prashad on last night. Um, and I guess, I mean, it's, uh, it's a, uh, 
I'm also very lucky. My mom has like the, has sees it the same way. Um, I think it's good to be talking to people who have you know have differences of opinion. But there is there's a difference between having a difference of an opinion, an opinion, and deeming someone kind of an irredeemable, like uh, Putinist, which is something that we're seeing more and more, and it is a scary time. Right. But, all right. Well, thanks so much for, uh, I mean, it's a tough time and, uh, but I really appreciate all you do. Thank you so much. I'll let, I'll turn this over to somebody else to ask a question. Thank you. You could host some kind of hangout online hangout for people. Okay. Thanks too. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Aaron, I thought you were going to say something about not having friends or something and how you get to avoid that. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I look, I have a few friends who really disagree with me. We have like these long, long running, uh, uh, like uh, WhatsApp uh, arguments going, but they're respectful, you know, because we're old friends and we can see past the politics. Not everything's about politics, but, uh, you know, for some people, it's hard to make that distinction. So everyone's different. You know, I just really, I just work very, very hard at being respectful of everybody and, uh, you know, just meeting people where they're at and not being attached to an outcome. That's, that's really the only advice I can give. Katie, I, I'll uh, confirm one thing. I, it's nice to have a friend who agrees with you. And my barista, who's an Italian, he agrees. And so he and I, can, I actually just left his coffee shop. And so at least it's good for him to nod and go, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and he's not just uh, uh, trying to please me. He, he definitely agrees with me. So make sure, stay around, stay around the cafe and wear like a hat and sunglasses and make sure the person next after you in line isn't like, you know, uh, some kind of neocon and see if he nods his head at him. Then you'll know you that know, the friendship is genuine. The friendship yeah. and the politics are genuine. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And you know, whenever, whenever I doubt myself, I just think, would my dog Rosie, my late dog Rosie, would she have agreed with me about Russia gate? And I, I think Rosie absolutely would have been on board with all my views. So that, yeah. that brings me some comfort too. Yeah. My yeah. dog, my dog Gertie agrees with everything I say too. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. Oh, Bodie's <laughs> totally on board. Oh my She's god. Totally you have now. that's the name of the coffee shop, Bodie. Oh really? my god. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It's in Philadelphia, Bodie. B O D H I, Bodie. Yeah. Like Bodavisa, Bodhisattva. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Thank you, Stu. Thanks for the hey, hey, again, I'm so appreciative. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Right. Aaron, where does Lucy the cat fall on this? Uh, well, <laughs> Lucy is probably uh, pro NATO. Yeah, I was thought she was. Because yeah, I despise Lucy, so Lucy's <laughs> got to be pro NATO for sure. Yeah, yeah. She throws Lucy could be a Nazi for all I know. Like Lucy does oh my bite my my Jewish parents. You're right. So if there's no, you know, what bigger sign do I need that Lucy is actually a a Nazi cat? Yeah, she's a Nazi cat. She should yeah. she should be the Azov Battalion's uh, mascot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. All right, Phantomus. Thank you, Phantomus, for always live clipping the Katie Halper show and live clipping idiots. What can we do for you today? I just wanted to make one comment. If Roger Waters was here, it would be uncomfortably useful. Oh, mm. I like. Mm-hmm. All right, mm. now but, I'll go. I, that, Phantomus, I wish you were here. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Have a nice day. Bye. You too. You too. A little pithy words of wisdom from Phantomus. Okay, Dan, welcome. Dan, you there? Unmute yourself. By... Oh, great. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, hey, Katie. Good morning. How you doing, Aaron? Um, so I, I just, uh, while I was on the line here, I realized like uh, 
maybe I needed to piggyback on a couple of things other people have said because I feel like I find myself on the verge of uh, losing friends because of my political views. And uh, some of them happen to be journalists. So the issue I have is um, I think it was uh, when Aaron and Max interviewed. Um, I think it was um, Polyansky, right? It was the uh, deputy ambassador to the UN, uh, the Russian one. And um, I think Minsk, too, was brought up. And, you know, I'd like to refer people to kind of like a reputable news sources. But um, I just kind of felt like when Minsk, too, was brought up and Polyansky said that, well, we actually don't have um, any room to negotiate there because this issue was already negotiated. But my understanding is that Russia is not itself a party to Minsk, too. And I just wonder why in that particular circumstance, there wasn't really any pushback to, uh, to his, to, uh, his stance, uh, you know, from the side of, you know, if we're going to hold Western media to account for, uh, basically not giving any pushback to Western actors, why, um, why a news source that's antagonistic to that couldn't give the same kind of a pushback to him saying like, well, if if you're saying that there's no room to negotiate and you're not actually a party to the to an agreement, you're basically um, you're starting negotiations with a kind of a, an ultimatum. So in that well, case, you kind of seem like you're the bad guy. Yeah, no, I think well, I think there are things I could have countered him with when he gave that answer. I don't know if I would have said what you said though, because the thing is, yes. Originally, Russia was not a party to the Minsk II talks, but they've since become a party via the what's called the Normandy format, which is basically led by Russia and France, bringing, uh, sorry, led by Germany and France and bringing in Russia as well, as, lo- as well as Ukraine to implement Minsk II. So that's what I was referring to when I said is the room for flexibilities, because yes, they weren't a party to the original accord. They were a party to the Normandy form, uh, format, which was bringing them in to implement Minsk. So that's what I was asking. And when he said there's no room to negotiate, yeah, I could have uh, said, why not? You know, that's a fair point on your part. Sure. But uh, so um, my understanding is, like, I feel like the, the reason that we're doing this in the first place is to get people that don't necessarily agree with us to get on board. And uh-huh. you have like a Western journalist that, um, <clears throat> that, that, you know, I might suggest uh looking at alternative media too and then they see what they they already believe is going to be russian propaganda and they see zero pushback then it becomes like a little bit problematic to have you know anything to recommend to them that they can look without without automatically dispelling their you know reaffirming their suspicions about what they're watching in the first place okay well look I, uh, it sounds like you were disappointed in the, in the interview. I thought it was important to give a Russian perspective at a time when even speaking to a Russian is not really allowed. You're not allowed to even hear what Russians have to say. So I thought it was important just to let that perspective have a platform. And it doesn't mean that we endorse everything that that Russian diplomat says. It just means that we're giving them a hearing. And if you think yeah. that a fail, if you, if you think the level of, that if you think that there was an insufficient level of aggressive questioning and pushback and you think that 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 then disqualifies everything else we do, then that's, you know, I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's your call.
Yeah, no, no, I, I don't think so. And actually, I thought that interview and a lot of your work was was actually great. Um, you know, it's just like a little bit frustrating from from my perspective because you know personally, I'm I'm not in that business. So when I try to uh, explain to people who uh, are more in that world to see things on my side, and I try to give them uh, a source that that they could look to, um, um basically my issue is that, um, <clears throat> um that the sort of even-handed uh, treatment of issues that um, that I, I preach to uh, other people that they should look to, you know, I it, like it makes it difficult for me to, uh, to to sort of recommend those sources from my perspective. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, and that, that's that's the only criticism I uh, I have really. Although otherwise, I quite enjoyed the interview, and I think uh, Polyansky's a uh, quite a sly fox. Yeah, he's a diplomat, and the Russian diplomatic corps is pretty slick. They're they're good at what they do, and yeah, um, I take your point that there could have been some more aggressive questioning. And you know, for me, I was guided by just wanting to give a, a platform to a voice that does not get represented at a time when it was really important to uh, hear from Russian voices because that was a point when you know that that was right before the invasion, and there was this looming threat of something horrible happening. And that was my guiding motive. But yeah, I hear you. You, 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 you wanted to see more pushback and that is what I try to do. And it was, uh, you want to see that across the board. Yeah, that was it. And thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. And, uh, I'll be on, I'll be listening. Thanks. Thanks for him. No, I so sexist. Aaron, you claim to be an ally. And then Dan asks a question and doesn't ask me at all about it. That's a joke because the question was based on an interview that Aaron did. <laughs> yeah, I had a question yeah, for you too, Katie, but I can hold it for next time if you want. All right. Yes, and I there, I was totally co-signing that 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 I thought that was a very interesting change you guys had. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Sasha. Oh, where'd Sasha go? Oh, sorry, Lee, Lee, and then Sasha. I was looking at my app wrong. Lee, unmute yourself, please. Hello, Katie. Hi. Hi, and Aaron. Katie, I love you. I have a daughter, Kate. You're wonderful. Don't anyone <laughs> make you feel like you aren't much appreciated because you are a great role model. I mean, I have four children all over the world, and I miss a lot of the little things that you all say, including with Matt and Glenn Greenwald and, and Jimmy Dore and all of you who are speaking the truth. And I just appreciate, especially that you are both, you and Aaron and the others are, you know, Russell Brand even, are, are respectful because I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I just, my head's exploding all the time. I, you know, I'm in, I'm in business and people are just marinated in Rachel Maddow. I, I'm just, it, it, so anything you all do to maybe get hold of some of the, some more mainstream folks, more steel manning maybe, just so that I can send your YouTubes to people. I, they, they ask me, you know, they'll even ask me, knowing I grew up in the Marine Corps, daddy's a highly decorated Vietnam and Korean War veteran, and to the left of all of us put together, by the way. You know, I mean, they're getting to the truth is hard. 
And you all are doing such a good job within the constraints you have without getting canceled. But do do you, I mean, I think I'm trying to think outside the box here, like Sam Harris, you know, he's, he acts like such a good guy, like when he was supporting Joe Rogan on the one hand, but then such a jerk a lot of the time. And he's good buddies with those Kissinger pals, you know, like Ian, what's his name? And I mean, it's just, see, we got all these hawks everywhere you turn, even if they're otherwise maybe, you know, thinking right. But, but people don't understand about like what you were just describing about Zelensky being under the threat of the neo-Nazis and how we are responsible for not resolving that situation before all this started. So I guess if I was, well, I have two questions. One, what do you say when somebody starts praising that, what's his name, Michael McFall, who makes me gag? And two, you know, what are some ways that you can steal man when Rachel's narrative comes up? (laughs) Well, <laughs> you know, the best an- the best antidote to Michael McFall, I oh. think, is is just show show the screen. Have you seen the screenshot of the message he sent someone about how great his life is? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's just so painful. And the thing is, people just brush that off. He's like Katie Couric. She practically flirts with the guy all the time and she has a following on instagram and not that she isn't part of the corporate media you know still basically because that's who she wants to hang out with but but they act like he and he he's partly responsible for this just like fauci's partly responsible or in my view very responsible for the covid epidemic but um we can't there's ah anything you all can do about with when you're ex, like both of you being, you know, having the wonderful influence of your trained parents, you know, and understanding psychology and understanding, you know, how to empathize and show compassion, even for the worst of us, you know, the worst, the traits. But then, like you said, meeting people where they are, yeah. um, I, you know, I don't have a good response when these very educated people are saying, well, you know, I mean, MSNBC, CNN, you know, can you give me anything I could read? I mean, New York Times is horrible. I mean, the Washington Post, but these, I send little snippets of, you know, whether it's from you all or from, excuse me, I say you all, because I was born in Norfolk, Virginia, the you know epicenter of military, everything. And uh, I just feel like time's running out. People don't realize about nuclear holocaust and and how big a threat that is and and how preventable another thing you could do is you could play them the clip of michael mcfall saying that um hitler never killed any german speakers (laughs) yes or ethnic germans and then you can explain that that was clipped as if it was a good thing by rachel maddow's staff who was said on the rachel maddow show didn't get any pushback from um Vel, uh, Ali Velshi, who was, I guess, rep- replacing Maddow, but her staff thought that that was a good enough clip to turn into a a, twi- a social media clip. Uh, that's also helpful. That combined with living my best Holocaust revisioning life, I guess. Yeah the 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 way that they can say things that are flat out false 
and get away with it. And people, you know, the fellow who says I'm losing all my friends. Well, I just don't try to persuade people. I mean, I want to be grounded in my own, you know, beliefs and principles, but I, I, so I don't like want to be complicit and let things slide. Like you were saying with the, the military guy, you know, you got to speak, you got to speak up when something is, you know, it's like lying if you withhold the truth in those moments. But, but uh, there's got to be a way to maybe get some of these influential people who may still, you know, who aren't so combative and have some skills who are still connected with mainstream. I mean, Max Blumenthal has a big fan base here, you know, and therefore all of you do, but because there's a, there are a lot of folks here working for Palestine, including in the Jewish community and, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a tall, blue-eyed blonde, and I, I mean, I really am a freak because I'm not, you know, I mean, I don't even, and, and my kids are fluent in all these other languages, and two of them live in Asia, and, you know, I mean, I know for a fact, and I have friends all over the place, but it's just, I know we people aren't getting I know. The yeah. Facts. They're not getting yeah. facts, and so what yeah. you were, I mean, I was just, I'm going to go back and listen again because I don't want to misstate explaining about the neo-Nazi situation with Zelensky. And, and so what could we do now? I mean, if some brave, like, you know, notable public figure, I mean, even Schwarzenegger made an effort, but, you know, if somebody were to explain to everybody who has an audience what we need to do now, now that, you know, it's a bigger mess, what we could do to address the underlying issue, what might that be? What, what, the underlying issue is the underlying issue is this U.S. policy of treating Ukraine as cannon fodder in a yes. proxy war against Russia, and the U.S. refusing to let Ukraine just be neutral and respect the deep divisions that exist in that country, instead of trying to pull it into one camp. And even if that means uh, aligning with neo Nazis, that's what the U.S. has been doing. So the aim is to get the U.S. to stop that, stop sending in weapons, and just agree to the proposals that everyone knows are going to be reached eventually. And the question is how many Ukrainians have to die before that happens. But, but as far as the, neo, I'll let you, I'll get off the neo, not the neo-Nazi piece though. What more can we, what would reassure both sides given the power they have in Ukraine? Well, the U S it, the U S would condition its support for Ukraine on them disbanding the neo-Nazi militias inside their army. That would be very effective because okay. Ukraine, Ukraine can't really do anything right now without U.S. Um, yeah, orders. Exactly. Okay, US, so let's so, keep repeating that. Let's keep yeah, repeating let's that. Do it. Thank you all. Thank Thanks, you. Lee. Thanks, Sorry. Lee. Thank you. Okay, Sasha. Hey, 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 hey. Good morning, guys. Hey, um, good morning. Uh, good morning, Katie. Good morning, Aaron. Um, I, I'd just like to start with extending my, my gratefulness and, 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 and compliments for your work you're going doing, guys, especially on, on this forum at Monday morning, where you guys are taking lots of toxic stuff, filtering it out for us, so we don't have to. So uh, I really, really, really uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, and probably, you know how there's this, like, buy me a coffee, we should probably have, like, buy me a session at the therapist or something, so you need a debrief after all this, all this yeah. stuff that you're watching for us. Um, but I would just like to ask a quick question. So I don't—I picked it up. I don't know. I don't have the source for that, but I picked up in one of these Telegram channels. Um, there was a there was a, a apparent um, a, a poll among the Ukrainians asking them, do they think they're winning the war? 
And I think 90 plus said that they are, they are convinced that they're going to win the war. Um, given the situation on the ground and what's happening and, 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 and how much, like, I'm just worried um, that this might give an incentive to, for, for, for people around uh, Zelensky in Kiev to, to kind of keep fighting, uh, which is, I think, what, what the U.S. administration, the current one, uh, uh, would like to happen. Um, and, and probably that is happening because these people don't have a right access to the right information. I mean, there is propaganda, as we know, on both sides. But I think the blackout on the Ukrainian side is making them completely out of, of the loop of what is really happening on the ground. So I'm just think, I just wanted to ask you your thoughts uh, uh, on, on that and how much that could be uh, making peace, any peace agreement uh, uh, much more difficult. Aaron, you want to take? So if I got the question correctly, it's whether, so given that Ukrainians are being fed a false narrative that they're winning, how will that will complicate the prospects for peace? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Good question. Uh, I, um, yeah, I don't know what's going on inside the Ukrainian camp. I, it strikes me, as I mentioned before, it strikes me that there's division there are some people I think have a more, better grip on reality that they're actually not winning, but I don't know. And it's a question of, I mean, how much authority does Zelensky even have? I don't know. It's a tough question. It strikes me that he's very vulnerable to outside forces, especially the far right and the U.S. And um, I do think that makes it more difficult for a peace deal to happen. But it's the kind of thing where we'll just see, you know, it's, it's tough to speculate. Okay, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sasha. Bye-bye. And we got to wrap it there, everybody. Unfortunately, um, I'm sorry to those whose questions we couldn't get to today, but we hope you'll come back next week when we do this again. Yes, definitely. And thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe uh, to uh, youtube.com uh, slash usefulidiots. Make sure you subscribe to usefulidiots.substack.com. And thank you so much to everyone who came by. This was a great chat. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, everyone. Bye.